Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. It is time once again for Life Uncloseted, where we explore all those closets of life that we all find ourselves in, whether we want to admit it or not. And when we find ourselves in those closets, sometimes you just got to go, what is it going to take for me to uncloset myself? And before we dive into the show, if you're really struggling to understand what's your next big move or where you're going, hop on over to the podcast page or to rickclemens.com and you'll find a cool little assessment that will help you see what are those closets that you're caught up in? Just go to rickclemens.com or lifeuncloseted.com and you can take that little assessment and start to open up the doorway. Maybe you and I will end up having a conversation one of these days about that. And speaking of conversations, we're going to dive in because I feel like this conversation we're about to have, even though I don't know where it'll go, as I never do, but there's some similarities to where my guest has been and where we have been as people who come out of closets literally in the sexuality piece. But you all know that I believe we've all got these closets. And I think the conversation is going to show that by fitting into roles and not being your authentic self and not being able to identify the symptoms of, oh, my God, I'm doing this and I'm keeping myself in the closet this all comes to a place where you're destroying things or you think you are. And the truth is, is even as you come out of a closet, you don't have to knock the closet door down and burn down the house, so to speak, to come out and be who you are or go do that thing you want to do. And Rob Toll is a fellow coach who I got introduced to through a couple other people. And as we started having conversations about, you know, what do we do and where he's been, I just felt like he absolutely positively would be an amazing guest to have here on the show. So don't hold it against him that he's from Arizona, but he is, and um, he is an amazing guy. I'm so excited to have this conversation with him. So Rob, welcome to Life Uncloset, man. Glad to have you as a guest. Thank you, Rick. I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Excited. Yeah. And again, I'm just giving you a hard time about Arizona. I love Arizona. Of course. Yeah. yeah, You know, I, I still, I've never been to Sedona. It's like, that's the place I knew I would just like really like dig. And I'm like, okay, I get to Phoenix or I get to, you know, some of these other places. I'm like, okay, one of these days I got to get up there. So, um, and this is not the travel show. So we'll get off the Arizona bandwagon and get, get going here. So, so Rob, you, you definitely struck a chord with me when you started talking, you know, in our, one of our initial conversations and even today before we came on the air about, you know, this uncloseting ourselves from these traditional roles and really finding our authentic self um, for you <laughs> When did you realize that wasn't going to work any longer? This like, oh my God, I have to have this role. I got to be this person. What was one of those defining moments in your own life when you're like, okay, enough is enough and I'm done? Uh, well, there was, that, that's a great question. So there was actually two points. And, and the first point was uh, when I was well into my 30s and I was well established into my career and doing this, all the stuff that I thought I was supposed to do. And there's a long story that leads up to that. But what it was, was there was a moment where I had a chance to display my authentic self in front of people I worked with. And it went over really well. And, and it was, I was in my natural, I was in a flow state, natural element. And after 
the presentation, one of the other co-executives walked up to me and he put his hand on my shoulder. He said, man, you missed your calling. Mm. And at that point, I knew, like I knew that he saw the real me. And it was the first time that a coworker or someone outside of someone outside of my head saw the real me. And it, that, that began the process of, I need to get out of this. I need to get out of this closet that was built around me and that I chose to stay in. And, and I struggled for a long time to get out of that. I, I, looked at uh, my partner for assistance and didn't get assistance. And eventually it got to the point where the big inflection was, uh, like you said, at the beginning in, in the intro, I basically had to burn the house down around my closet, which was, okay, I'm done here. If I can't live and, and embrace who I am, really, I'm done. And, yeah. and so it was, a, it was a failed suicide attempt that was really kind of the final straw of, can we stop this charade now and, mm-hmm. and finally get into becoming who we know we're supposed to be? All right. You know, it's interesting that you, not interesting, like, oh, wow, you had a suicide attempt. That's never a great thing. But sometimes it's these bigger wake up calls. I know for me, it wasn't a suicide attempt, but it was waking up in London, you know, in a hotel room with a guy that I finally like, okay, guess what? We didn't have sex, but wow, there was so much more here that I can actually do this. I, I can actually go be with a man and it's not like wham, bam, thank you, sir, which erased so much other stuff. But in the, in the moment that it was erasing it in, you know, so to speak, burning down the, the house of my thoughts, I also saw, wait, I don't think I have to throw everything out the window to move forward. Yes. There's going to be some right. big changes, but I think so many of us, and, and it's, it's not like, no, I'm not going to paint a picture that it's going to be like a rosy walk out of the closet, regardless of what your closet is. But I think as humans, and you kind of alluded to this, we set up so much crap that we think is going to like, all this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and then we don't do anything because we're so building the picture of, yeah, everything's going to have to get burnt down and thrown out to move forward. And I, Absolutely. And yeah. it's totally not true. Yeah, not, not true at all. Not only is it not true, and see, that, that's something that's like we use fear as a way to make decisions. And oftentimes when we look at a situation of I want to start stepping toward where I know I need to go, we don't look at the opportunity. We look at the barriers and we yep. just spend time focusing on the barriers. And, and the analogy that I use when people get dissuaded from the what if negative consequences I turn it around and I say, if you bought a lottery ticket and the longer you think about that winning that lottery ticket and you start mentally spending all the money in your head, do you actually go out and take action on that? Right. Do you go out and buy the diamond encrusted boots or the boat? No, you don't. You just think about it. So why would you look at a negative outcome and get scared out of doing anything when it's not any more guaranteed than winning the lottery? Right. You can think about it and really give it some thought, but there's no need to take action of dissuading from doing something because you've identified potential risks. Right. And so, that's yeah, a really good, that's a great analogy because, and, you know, coach to coach, I know we both do this and, and our client interactions, but one of the things I always say to my client is, okay, so yes, that's a possibility, but now what's the other possibility that's on the positive spectrum? 
I'm going to come out of the closet. I'm going to be myself. I'm going to be happy. And, you know, usually I'm really catty about it. And like, and you're going to get all the dick you want. Okay. Now you get to go do that. Right. <laughs> and I always usually get the really quiet, like, okay, I wasn't expecting that first, but they're like, yeah, I guess you're kind of right. I'm like, okay, but it isn't all about dick. It's about being who you are. It's about authentically right. standing in your power, embracing yourself. And I think that's the piece that so many people miss. If they're, if a guy, and I know you do some executive coaching stuff, but if a guy or gal sitting in that corner office, they're like, yes, I'm making a half a mil, a million a year. I have this great view of LA and, you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, I've got it all going. And I'm completely miserable and I want to do something with purpose. It's like, okay, so what's the negative of that? They can come up with those in a heartbeat. Yeah. But when you ask them, okay, so great. If you walk away from this, what's the thing you're most going to appreciate about where you're going? I usually get the silence because they're like, oh, I don't know how to articulate that. Absolutely. And I think that's a great point, too, is not only can they not articulate it, a lot of times we think of it as an either or, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm stuck in this position, whether that's a role in a family system, whether that's a job, whether that's an identity, we feel stuck. And we assume in order to move toward feeling more authentic with ourselves, we have to destroy that thing we're in. And that's not entirely true. So, and when I think about people not doing, like if we just simply use the example of someone following their dreams, they have a job they don't like and they wish they could do something with purpose and they start, they want to follow their dreams. Yep. They automatically assume I have to leave the job in order to do something with purpose. Yep. And then what happens is then they start thinking about, well, now this thing with purpose needs to provide my livelihood. And yep. they've just contaminated the thought. It's mm -hmm. no, you want to do stuff with purpose in your life. Separate the nonsense. The job is just something. It's one thing. You're not doing something with purpose. That's what's really bothering you. And the same thing of not living authentically, for me, that was the pain point. And originally, I thought, I need to get out of all of these circumstances in order to feel better. Because all the circumstances were causing me pain because there was nothing to offset it. Right. I wasn't doing anything that called me with purpose. What I watched other people do was completely destroy their lives because they felt that the problem was them. Yep. They go through this re-identification re process and now I get a different haircut. I wear different clothes. I have different friends. I do all these things, but they didn't address anything on the inside. And they start blowing up relationships and families and careers because they're grasping. Mm -hmm. And instead of looking internally and saying, what is that need inside that's not getting addressed? Is it my sexual identity? Is it my cultural identity? Is it my sense of self? Is it my spirit? And then taking action to actually address that thing. And then dealing with the, what does it take to make myself embrace these things? And so for me, it was, it, I can go all the way back to the messaging I received at a as a child, which basically said, hey, you're a boy. And as a boy, you're going to have the following responsibilities and your entire life needs to be supporting those responsibilities. You yep. need to be a provider for your family. Life is not about fun. Right. It is not about what you want from life. Your job is to basically be a workhorse or, or, or a beast of burden right. for everybody else. And yep. if everyone else has a good life, then you should be happy with your life. Yep. And so that's what I, that's what I, and, but I was also an artist too. And so it was, well, wait a second, you, 
being an artist, that's, that's contradictory to being a provider. Mm -hmm. It was get that out of your head. That's, you can do that until you're 16, but once you're an adult, sorry, buddy, like you can get welcome to the real world. Mm -hmm. And so that idea of, well, how do I do that? How do I embrace my true self later in life when all these people depend on this facade, right? So I've got all these dependents and people that look at this identity that they think is me. Mm -hmm. And it's, well, now how do I start to integrate that real sense of my authentic self without disrupting all these systems? And there was a lot of fear for me of how to, how to actually put my guard down and be the person I wanted to be. And what I found was the fatigue from keeping myself hidden caused me to be so toxic and so unpleasant that it actually poisoned and destroyed all my relationships because this internal frustration wasn't going anywhere and it wasn't being met, right? So now I'm feeling all this pain and I can't assuage it. Now, no one wants me home. And and when I travel for work and I get back, the kids say, we like life better when you're gone. Um, Mm. I have a partner that says, I don't want to help you get better because you're so miserable. I want nothing to do with you. After my suicide attempt, I had to go away to treatment. And while I was in treatment, my children and my, my partner, did, my former partner didn't contact me at all, except to send a letter that said, we are really happy without you. And mm-hmm. we had a family event planned um, like months before anything kind of happened that occurred like while I was in treatment. And it basically said, we are so happy you weren't here because you would have ruined the situation. That is all toxic exhaust from not addressing that authentic self. Mm -hmm. And so being able to step back and say, I at least owe it to myself to start to make changes to, to, to address this. And I don't need to start dismantling everything else in my life, but I'd better take action to address that individual, that, that really that authentic need. It's interesting that you use that terminology. I owe it to myself because that is one of the things that actually for many people, you know, whether it's coming out of the closet about your sexuality or I'm going to go start this new endeavor and become an entrepreneur or I'm going to leave a relationship because it really isn't working. To do it for yourself is so contradictory to how most of us have been raised. Oh, we're supposed to be the pleasers, take care of others. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I still wholly believe in a lot of that. But when that do it, do it for everybody else and you're secondary it's some of the biggest bullshit in psychology that I've ever heard. And I'm not saying psychology brought that around, but we actually damage ourselves more. I am not being good for the situation because I'm hiding in the closet, lying to my wife, lying to my kids, being miserable, getting fat, not being happy. You know, when I was in that space, everybody would say, you never smile. Well, no, what the fuck do I have to smile about? It's exactly. I'm, I'm playing two different roles. I'm like, I'm playing two different characters. When I'm not home and I'm on the road, I'm somebody completely different than when I come home and here I am. And it's not because I didn't care about my wife. It wasn't because I didn't care about my kids. I loved them dearly. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the relationship today that I have with my children if I didn't love them. But I had to love myself first. And I know there's a lot of talk about this in the personal development space and well-being space about you have to love yourself first. And some people are just like, yeah, but that sounds selfish. It is not selfish. It is the core essence of how you get moving to the better space for you 
And as soon as you feel better about you, it is so much easier to feel better about others. Absolutely. And I, I fell exactly into the same trap of, you know, you, you need to be of service to others and that's your significant. And it's, and it's very much kind of like a societal structure. It's a cultural structure where it's an idea of we have to take care of our tribe others around mm -hmm. us. And, and sometimes that means making sacrifice and there's a glorification of that sacrifice, right? We always talk oh, God, about yeah. the, the, I mean, that's, that's the heroes we worship. Mm -hmm. And so it's really easy to buy into that. And you're right. What happens. And I, I felt the same way. I was completely miserable. I would, I felt like a fraud in my own life. Mm -hmm. And what I realized is I, I have a service mentality, but yep. when my cup is empty because I'm burning through it myself, I have nothing to give anybody and I resent giving. And what I found was that that act of self-love, which was really just first acknowledging who I was mm -hmm. and then saying, OK, Rob, we can address who you are. It can, it can breathe and we can give it light. Just that thought alone refilled my cup. And yep. I was in a much better headspace and emotionally from from a health perspective to be able to start to live into that servant mentality. And when I saw that dynamic happening, that's encouraging because it, it picks up inertia, right? It's mm -hmm. like, wow, okay, so the more that I allow myself to do the things that make me feel alive and connected to my purpose, the more I am actually connected to the things I think are my obligations. I'm more able to serve them. And it's such, it's such an amazing revelation. And it's almost like that that leap of faith, you know, we can hear about it, but you often need to take that first step in order to believe that it's possible. But, but that leap of faith, you cannot take until you, in my opinion, you cannot take that leap of faith until you say, I love myself enough to take that leap of faith, even yeah. for all the pain or all the fears that are sitting there. I always try to guide people into the space of, Okay, which is greater, the pain of staying where you are or the pain of where you're going? Because at some point, the pain of where you're going is going to be less than the pain of where you're staying. Right. You know, even in that moment that I, you know, I met the guy in London, spent the night with him. And I know there's lots of pieces of the puzzle that, you know, everything fully aligned. But it was in that moment that I woke up and I'm like, well, the pain of doing it this way isn't as great as I thought it'd be. And of course, you know, I immediately went to like, I was Cinderella found the prince, you know, all that sort of stuff. And Oh my God, he's my knight in shining armor. Right. <laughs> and he's a great, he was a great guy, but it, it, and without him, I probably wouldn't have been where I got, but it was that moment of, okay, the pain didn't seem as great to say, okay, my heart. Yes. My heart was going pitter pat, but it wasn't because it didn't come from that, from that sexual space. Suddenly there was a whole night of spending a night with this guy talking, really going deep, going, this is what a, a real relationship with a man could look like. Oh, wow. That was one of the biggest pieces of pain that I had was, I don't think I can do this with a guy. How do guys do this? Yes, it's a pain in the ass. Anybody listening? Being in a relationship with a guy is a pain in the ass. Okay. And I admit it, I'm one of them. So I get it. Right. But it was so huge. And it was like hearing him say, and again, it, it was all kind of crazy that it happened in like one night, but like him saying, Oh, you know, having children in my life would be a great thing. I was just like, wait, I didn't know there'd be another guy who would feel that way. Right. And of course I had this really fucked up sense that I'm the only man who's been married. That's 
going to come out of the closet. Mm -hmm. There's nobody else like me. Right. And then of course, you know, a month later after I did this, probably not even a month, probably two weeks later, my best friend and I were out because he was my, he was my rock and we were in Laguna beach and I go into the bar with him and he starts introducing me to people. And then, you know, I'm in a, such a freaking emotional space, right? I shouldn't, I shouldn't even been out of the bar at that point. Every guy I met that night, it's like, oh yeah, I've been through what you've gone through. I was married. I have three kids. I was married. I have a kid. I, I've been married twice. I'm like, well, damn. <laughs> I thought I was, I thought I was the poster child of gay and been married. Right. But it's this interesting thing because I think this happens over and over again. You're not the first guy who attempted suicide. Right. Right. Yeah. But we think these things that are do it. And then we, and you, like you're about to say, you won't be the last. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all, it's all that story we tell ourselves. And again, it's because we get so locked into this inner dialogue where it's, you know, it's that inner critic of ourselves and our authentic self. And like, what should I be doing versus what, what do I really want to do? And what happens is we're smart. We mm -hmm. totally, that, that bullshit we feed ourselves, we buy it. We think it's completely accurate. And so that keeps us in that closet. Right. And what's really interesting is there's telltale signs. We know when we're feeding ourselves a line of bullshit, we know it. It's a lot of times we tune it out. You know, you hear it physically, you'll feel it emotionally, you'll feel it from a mental stress perspective, and we just chalk it up to life. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's life if you want to keep internally poisoning yourself. That's not the way that life operates when we're not feeding ourselves all the lies to keep us, you know, kind of boxed in. Yeah. So what I just heard you say, though, is there's like, you start now that you've gone through this, which I wouldn't want anybody to have to go through what e either of us have gone through to like, okay, we see the light. Yay. Mm -hmm. But, but I know now, and I am sure you do because you know, you brought it up before we got on the, the air here. Now you can identify some of the symptoms. So when you think about the symptoms, I know for me, one of the symptoms that I could identify, which is one I just talked about was mm -hmm. believing I'm the only one. Yeah. As soon as I start thinking, well, I'm the only one who feels this way, I have to rein it in really quickly, you know, because I'm like, mm, no, girlfriend, you're not the only one who's going through this. Right. Because as soon as I can do that, it shifts my perspective. It helps me start to see where I'm starting to create the story where I'm about to go down the rabbit hole and there isn't going to be any Alice in Wonderland or Cheshire cat waiting down there. It's all going to be Rick's little playground that Rick can go into. So what are some of the symptoms you think people can like see or that you see now in your own world that keep you from, Ooh, I'm spiraling. I'm going to go into this, you know, I'm not going to be me. What are some of those symptoms you can identify? Yeah, that's a great question. One of the symptoms that, that I identify is when I think about, am I operating from a place of want or should? Like, am I addressing mm -hmm. my actual desires or am I doing what I think I should be doing? And that should could be based on, you know, societal expectations of, oh, this is the role I'm in. A dad needs to do certain things uh, the same way a guy needs to do certain things. Or is it a, this is what I was taught? This is for my parents. This is, you know, if, do I hear their voice in my head? And so a lot of what I do is uh, what I'll call a somatic check-in. So as I'm doing something, I'll listen to my body because it's all in my head, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's who has its hands on the wheel. Yep. And so I like to check in with my body. And what I do is kind of, uh, actually, I check in with my spirit as well. I do like a four-stage check-in. And the first thing I do is I let my mind just express whatever noise it wants to get out, right? So it's going to tell me the should. It's going to say your, your parents think you should have this job or your partner feels you need to stay in this situation. 
And then I ask my emotions and I'd say, well, okay, well, how do I feel about that? Well, right away, if there's not an alignment between my brain and my emotions, that messaging and my emotions, that that's the first, you know, let's call that a yeah. yellow flag yeah. because that's my emotion saying, well, Rob, if resentment is coming up or if I suddenly feel like resigned, like, well, it's just my lot in life to suffer this way in silence. That's nonsense. Like, so that's, that's right away. So I let my mind talk. I let my emotions talk. I check in with my body. And I'm like, okay, where am I feeling this? Is it in my chest? Is it in my head? How's my stomach feel, right? Like, is my gut in knots? And do I feel like I just got the kind of hug that you feel like you can collapse into where I feel weak? Or do I feel like, wow, I, I feel loved and alive from that thought or this situation? Once those three things check in, my brain, my heart, and my body, Right now, I can actually listen to my intuition, my spirit, and say, okay, what should I be doing here? Mm -hmm. And I don't challenge that thought. And the thing, and, and the reason I go through this process, the way I like to think about it is my mind, my emotions, and my body, if they were all dials on like a radio console, they all go to 11, just like they were in Spinal Tap. But my spirit only goes to 10. And until I turn all of them down, by letting them express themselves, I will never be able to hear my spirit and my intuition. Mm -hmm. And once I do that, that spot that I'm in, that moment of, Rob, what do you need to do? That's when that messaging comes through loud and clear. Rob, you need to create things. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I guess living in a cubicle, doing legal work doesn't allow creation. No shit. <laughs> so you need to start doing stuff to create because if you don't, this feeling is going to metastasize. And what's going to happen is it's going to damage you and you are going to be, become a contaminant for every system you're in. You're going to be a poison at work. You're going to be a poison at home. You're going to be a poison. Like, and so that check-in to just simply say, okay, let the noise in my head come out. Let my heart speak without controlling my actions. Let right. my body inform everything about like, yo, dude, here's what we're experiencing right now. All systems check in. Okay, spirit, what do we got to do? So that, that tension between want and should, mm -hmm. that's really where I look to kind of calibrate my compass of, okay, and when it's a, I need to do this because of a want, then it's, okay, that's aligned. If it's a should, I really start to ask myself, okay, if I do it, am I doing it simply to just turn down the noise or stop some sort of pain? Because if it is, that's fine in the short term. But there is an unresolved issue. There's a root cause I need to get to. And so the, the example I'll use is like a really basic example. Let's use working out or fitness, right? So if I say, I, I want to be in better shape, therefore I should work out. That should set, that lines up with, I want to get in better shape. But if I say, I should go work out because I, I look awful or my friends are working out and I should do it. Or my mom said, I'm putting on weight. Like, that's not the right reason. That's now I'm going to work out so I don't hear the pain of that comment or that thought. That's not helping me be who I want to be. And so that decision to go to the gym can feel two radically different ways, depending on whether or not it's supporting what I want yep. or what I think I should do. Mm -hmm. Or the other one that people throw out a lot, I need to do this. I need to. Right. Yeah. I don't, and, there's very few needs. <laughs> I mean, let's right. be really clear. Question. You need to breathe. You need water. You need some food. You need some shelter. So there you go in four simple steps. We kind of need all those. And even some of those aren't 
well, most of those are a need. But when we start saying, oh, I need to work out. Okay, you probably should work out, could work out, want to work out, but why is it a need? I want to work out because I want to feel alive. I want to feel better. I want to, mm-hmm. I want my ass to look like a bubble butt in jeans that it hasn't for years, whatever that is, right? But it's so interesting, in fact, and the dialing into intuition is huge. In fact, just before we started recording this, I had just done a session with a client this morning and his exact words were, well, I know I should be doing this. And of course, then the big word came, but, <laughs> but. Mm-hmm. and I said, okay, we're going to stop right there. You said, you know, you should be doing this. So why aren't you doing it? And he got really quiet and he goes, because I'm afraid. I'm like, okay, so let's now rephrase this. I'm not doing this because I'm afraid. So what are you afraid of? And it was just so simple. Once I made him start to go that direction, we started getting to the fears. And then of course, you know, we started talking about the fears and how many of those are real and how many of those are coming from your past and the assumptions and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And anybody listening to this, I know for me, I do this crap to myself all the time. So I'm not like the guru at this. I've been for the last 24 hours, I've been shouldn't and knowing I should do something and all this sort of stuff. But it's so powerful when you can start to actually see that in your own thoughts because you can actually make the shifts. You can begin the coming out of whatever that is because you take the needs and the shoulds and you go, here's what I want to do. Here's why I want to do it. This is what's important to me. And most of us don't take the time to have those internal conversations. I'm in the midst of something pretty big in my life. And the three questions I've been asking myself for 24 hours is why do I want to do this? Who will I be when I do this? What does it bring into my life that keeps me on aligned with who I really want to be? And what happens if I don't do it? Because I want to be very clear in this decision. I could say, well, I really need to do this because it's going to bring in this much money. Okay, great. But what if that doesn't actually happen? I'm not operating from a space of why and what's important to me. I yeah, think this is where, where you probably found yourself too, Rob, is like, okay, what's important to me? Right. That's, that's super profound because what you, you literally just hit the nail on the head because my need was I need to provide financial security for my family in a mm-hmm. way that they have no concerns about financial resources for the rest of their life. That's a ridiculously high hurdle. And so I, and what I did was I took all those unmet emotional needs of my own and squeeze them together to form coal. And that went into the furnace. And that's how I worked like a madman. And I, and I worked out of anger and resentment because I was working for the benefit of others. And that element of, well, what, why am I working for it? So just like you said, if I do this, I'll make a lot of money. Well, what if the money doesn't come? I kept saying, I just need to do this for now. I'll get through this bad part and then I'll do what I really want to do. And what I realized was someone else can control whether or not that future comes to fruition for me. So when my partner said, no, dude, you're out of the family. We are done with you. That was like, well, wait a second. I was working to have me and my partner be you know, old grandparents on, on a front porch, and I could be this crotchety grandpa with kids running around. You're going to take all that away from me? And it was, yep. Now... It's like, well, I would have never made that decision then. I never would have worked this way or chose this profession if I knew the future 
was so fragile in whether or not it could come to fruition. And so it's now it's like it's almost that concept of of forcing yourself to the edge of jeopardy, right? Where it's like now there's this massive risk and it's would you do everything the same way? And it's like, no, hell no. I would have done it so differently. And so one of the things after and so my my suicide was a little strange because like I attempted it in front of my sons. I thought it was done. And then I tried to overdose. And then when one of my son, my younger son woke me up after about like three hours and, and it was that, oh shit thought was, I, I thought the credits rolled. This is not the mm-hmm. bonus scene, right? Like this is the, and it was now what? Like I just used the nuclear option and I didn't fix anything. And now it, and, and it was almost worse because now I didn't even have a starting point. Right. Because it was like, okay, the decision was correct. All of this bullshit that led to this point cannot continue. Mm-hmm. So, and so I, the way that I teach it is I talk about life as a path. And I say that was the end of my first path. And yep. so now I had to create a second path. And what's interesting is that doesn't mean altering goals or, or objectives. And so that was something I had to come to terms with was I can still do the stuff I want to do in life, but I got to take a different way to get there. And so it was at the end of that first path when I was like, well, now what? There was a lot of reorientation of who am I? What is it that matters to me? And what do I want from my life? Because we only get one shot and I was ready to punch my ticket. I was done. And so, and not only did that act kind of conclude that first part of my life, it was the final step of losing everything. Because at that point, leading up to that, I'd lost my entire sense of self. My, my health was on the ropes. Um, I lost all of the wealth that I accumulated for 20 years. And I lost all the connections and relationships that I had any, that gave my life meaning. Effectively. When your children say they, they want a different dad, like that's, that's pretty that's damning, you know? Right. And when your partner of 20 years says, I can't think, I don't even want to imagine spending another day of my life with you. Well, that's a pretty, they have a 20 year sample size. That's a pretty good assessment on, wow, you're, you're, you're in a pretty shit spot there, guy. Like you've lost everything. And so that rebuilding is completely possible, but you really got to start with the, okay, I, I got a bonus round now. What do I want out of this life? We only get one shot and I don't want to get to the end with more regrets. But what you said in the midst of all this, all this was really great. The two things that you brought up that I know started to help me really see things. And even as I, in the last 24 hours, I've been going, okay, who am I? And why does this matter to me? If I go for this opportunity, who am I going to be if that happens? And I don't know that any of us take the time on a regular basis. And I really, truly try to do this as much as I can. Like, okay, so who am I now? Is this who I am? Who is, does it align with who I believe myself to be? Because it's going to shift not going to change everything, but it, it does shift. I mean, <laughs> I told a client this morning as we were like working through his stuff, I said, you know, I put my own, you know, personal spin on this and said, oh, so let, let's just kind of use what's going on for me is like, you know, this is an example of you dial into who you are. 10 years ago, something like this would have shown up to me. And the who I was then was a desperate person. For just, okay, fine. Yes, I'll take that position. I'll take that money because I just needed it because I was operating from a space of desperation. Who I am now is like, does this make logical sense? Does this give me the freedom? I say that's important to me. Does this still enable me to be in the world the way I want to be in addition to doing what I enjoy doing? 
so it's these interesting things of who you are and why will that matter? What's the big why behind if I make this decision? For me, when I finally took that big leap of faith, even though part of it was like, oh, I got this handsome British guy that really digs me. That was so ironic because I'm like, okay, he really digs me. And then suddenly in the midst of like figuring out who he was, then in that 24 hour period, lo and behold, we're both in London, but he he's British, but he actually lives in San Francisco and I live in California. So hmm, suddenly everything can really start to happen. Right. But even in the midst of that, I found myself asking myself, why does it matter now that I can come out versus 48 hours ago? It was because the why suddenly aligned with, I know I can be who I want to be and be with a guy who's into kids and be with a guy who's like, I accept you that you're a you know, 36 year old guy. My why is I can do this without believing I'm going to be some son of a bitch. Even though that came like, you know, 24 hours later when I came home and said, guess what? I'm gay. Um, it was such a different thing when I dialed into my why. It was yeah. important to me because why for me, I could no longer, I could no longer keep telling lies. It was so against my grain, Man. but I had numbed myself to that, that hamster wheel of it's just another story. Just keep the story straight, Rick. You're doing really yeah. good. You could have your own reality TV show with how many stories you got going on. Right. <laughs> right. But it, it is an, a fascinating thing. And one of the things that you brought up is, you you talk about the delaying and and you know this coming out and then finally this thing happened the suicide and explodes your whole you know life but as you think about the delays that kept keeping you from seeing this rob do you feel like those delays were just part of the equation to get you woke up now that you can look back at them uh Partly yes and partly no. So there, there is obviously you can't rewrite history. So there right. is this acceptance where I look at it and I and I can be grateful for all of the checkpoints I pass through. Um, that at the point in time it was like, hey, this is the perfect intersection where you could have you could you could end you could you could take a different path now and it wouldn't go to that destination of of you know a failed suicide attempt and losing everything. Um, but what I realized is I, I was subscribing to that role and the belief that I had constructed in my head so tightly that the only thing that was going to pry it out of my hands was something really catastrophic. And, and if I had given myself some space to really listen to my intuition all along the way and not just discount it because it shows up, right? And so what I'd like to think about is those moments when we get into flow or like in the zone, when we feel connected to the universe and time slows down, what that's an indication to us is that we're operating from our intuition. We're mm -hmm. operating from our purpose. And yeah. that's why life suddenly feels like it's completely magical. And so had I looked at all those times and said, you want more of that, I would have, I would have course corrected. And I wish I could have done that at that point. I would have spared because um, because the damage that I caused wasn't just to myself. I destroyed a family system. Um, I, I severely impacted my oldest son, who will have issues now for the rest of his life. Um, my younger son has had a completely different coping mechanism. Um, and my former partner, we I don't even talk to that person anymore. And they were, you know, my best friend at some point mm -hmm. um, for half my life. And so that that's a really massive 
cost. And, and if I could have tuned into my intuition earlier and listened to it, I, I probably would have saved myself. And, and, and what you were talking about, that idea of the why, um, and, and that we don't see that we can actually, like that person we can become if we make this decision, that's a big thing. Like that, if I had tuned into my intuition and that kind of, what are the things that make me feel in flow? Right. And if I looked at myself accurately and said, Rob, you are nothing more than a mosaic. You're all these little pieces of your, your personalities, all these little attributes and components. And if you change one piece from the mosaic, you actually change the entire picture. And so it's like, it doesn't take a lot of effort. And we're actually so much closer to the destination to our, what our goal is than we actually realize that it doesn't take a whole lot. It's not like, oh, I need to invent a new picture. No, mm -hmm. you just need to adjust one or two pieces right. and it can be radically different. The, that, the, that, that why, and then who do I look like? You're, you're right. That's profound because that's the stuff that motivates us to take action. Mm -hmm. And it is such an interesting slight pivot, you know? Okay. So, I mean, let's say it's probably two and a half years ago, I made a decision to like step into another role with a company. And at first I'm like, but wait, Rick, if you're doing that with them, you don't have enough time for your own private clients. And if you're doing that with them, you know, you're not going to get the next book done, which yes, the next book is still sitting over here staring at me going, come on, bitch, when are we going to do this? You know, <laughs> it's okay, honey, we'll get there. Um, but also what I learned in that was, wait, I was thinking it was like, oh my God, I'm going to, everything's going to, you know, have to blow up. When I took the breath and I stepped back and I said, okay, how does this work together? Yes. It's really simple. It's, I just show up and do the thing. I don't have to go market. <laughs> I get to just be right. And I'm like, okay, well then that doesn't mean you have to do everything on your big master Rick list of, you know, having your own brand and everything. And when I started like adjusting the knobs and going, okay, so that means I'm going to turn back on this and not do as many podcasts. And maybe I'll turn up a little more over here on, you know, doing this podcast more, but this one, not so much. And you know what? I'm not really enjoying writing for other places as much as I used to. So maybe that'll just go away. And, you know, I'm going to keep this many slots open for my personal clients, but then the bulk of my business is going to be over here. And, and you know what? I'm actually really tired of being out on the speaking circuit too. So maybe I'll just dial it down and go, Hey, if I speak twice a quarter or once a quarter, boom, bada bing, bada boom, I'm happy. Suddenly when I just adjusted knobs, that's all I yeah. did. And suddenly I'm like, I'm in flow. But up to that moment, I was like, I was fighting. I was knocking heads with this idea and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, how do you bring this to flow? Yeah. And every time I give myself permission, and that was an example of business, but every time I give myself permission to go, how do you get this back in flow? Then I discover the path. And I think yeah. that's the biggest thing for any of us as we look at all these interesting closets we're coming out of in our lives is to ask the question, what's not in flow? And Absolutely. many people probably don't even know how to ask that question, but I, we just told you, Rob and I just yeah. said, just ask yourself what's <laughs> not in flow. I know that's a big concept, but if you need help from either one of us, you'll be able to reach out to Rob. You'll see his stuff on his show page here or me, either one. We can really help you guide that because it is. I remember the first time my coach many moons ago um, took me into that. I'm like, bitch, I don't even know what you're talking about. And it was because I wasn't in flow. I couldn't open myself into that. Yet there were times when I'm like, yeah, when I'm exploring and I'm letting my think about, okay, what could be and what's my why and who am I, you know, if I am that, suddenly I'm like, oh, this feels really good. 
So now I know that about myself. I know that when I dial in like that, that's where I find success. So real quick here before we wrap it up, man, what do you feel like is one of the things that you've discovered most about yourself now that you've realized this authentic piece of you has to show up that fitting into other people's roles doesn't work, that you can see the symptoms? What is the thing you feel like you most learned about yourself? It's the idea of possibility. And, and for a while, I always felt like, well, once I made a decision, I had to stick with it and follow it through. And so, and what happened is that always felt like when the possibilities were limited and freedom of choice was limited, uh, I really got into the practice of asking myself, what if? And mm-hmm. so I would, and it would just be any harebrained idea of, well, what, what if I moved from Pennsylvania to Arizona? And it was, well, here's all these reasons why, why, mm-hmm. why you cannot do that. And then addressing all of those reasons as, but is that really a reason keeping me? Like mm-hmm. it's not. And so, and then I get to the, okay, not only did I ask what if, and then why not? And then it's, well, why not do it now? What are you waiting for? Like I just proved like my life just smacked me in the face and took away my entire future. So now you're going to push something else to the future. Like, do you not learn? Like, so it's do something now. And so it was, well, what if this goes badly? Who gives a shit? Do it. You will figure it out. Like you just literally tried to kill yourself and screwed it up. So you'll, you'll be fine. Whatever happens, you'll be fine. And that, uh, that sense of possibility has, it, that's been a new thing that I wear and it's, it's radically changed my life. Yeah. And I think that's a powerful space to kind of sashay out of this conversation only because when you can think in possibility, it takes away, you can't be in possibility and be in, be in impossibility at the same time. The two can't, they can't reside in the same room. And that was one of the big things I started to learn in, in so much of this work is when you know the, not some kind of the yin and yang, but when you know the opposites, the polar opposites, and you realize those can't coexist, that's when you have power. When I'm in possibility, I cannot think in negative impossibilities. When I look ahead to like, okay, what's the possibility about this decision I'm making right now? There's a lot of positive possibilities. Now I can flip that in a heartbeat and go, oh yes, but what if I do that? And I do that and this doesn't happen and this doesn't happen. This. Okay, go play in that sandbox, Rick, and you're going to be miserable. Mm-hmm. But when I realize what is the possibility if I, again, back to, I just slightly turn the knobs and go, okay, well, I'll do this, I'll do this. And I actually did some of that this morning and I know where I'm headed with this decision 10 times greater than I did when I woke up at four o'clock this morning going, (laughs) and I'm like, bitch, you could have slept through that and you would have got to the same space, you know, (laughs) but um, it's so interesting. So, um, so Rob, man, I love having you on the show before we wrap up, tell everybody where's the best place they could connect with you um, other than in Arizona. And yeah, just go knock on the door to (laughs) Arizona and go, do you know this guy named Rob Toll? We we thought he was pretty cool. So uh, yeah, it's a good place for them to find you. There's two primary places. The, the first place is on my website and it's uh, path, the number two coaching.com. So path to coaching um, or on Facebook, you can go to either at path, the number two coaching um, or at, you know, uh, look me up Rob tall. And I think the handle is RS tall three. Cool. So look me up in any of those venues. 
Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for being part of this and showing another aspect of coming out of a closet that it has nothing to do with sexuality. It's about coming out of the closet to be your most authentic self and dumping those roles that no longer fit for you. So really appreciate you, man. Yeah, thank you, Rick. Really appreciate being here and thanks for welcoming. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.